seated upon the table. The president impeached again. That no one is above the law, not even the president of the United States. South Florida GOP reps vote against impeachment for reversing state elections. Congressman Carlos Jimenez joins us live. Even if you left D.C., agents from our local field offices will be knocking on your door. More than 100 people arrested for crashing the Capitol. The nation on high alert. Miami's top cop live with his view on security here. If anything is disorderly, we are going to act very quickly. The governor activates the National Guard. The FBI warns of armed protests in all 50 states. An historic week. And we've got it all covered on This Week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. As we come on the air today, the nation prepares for a transfer of power and braises for those who oppose it. And that is the backdrop for the second impeachment of President Donald Trump this week, accusing him of inciting insurrection. That impeachment vote in the House comes one week after the mob attack on the Capitol on the president's behalf. South Florida members of Congress voted along party lines on that impeachment vote. Democrats Frederico Wilson, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Ted Deutsch, Elsie Hastings, and Lois Frankel all voting to impeach and voting against Republicans Mario Diaz-Balart, Maria Elvira Salazar, and Carlos Jimenez. Congressman Jimenez joins us now via Skype from his home in Miami. Congressman, good morning. Glad you could join us. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're well. Uh, Congressman, let's begin here. You and your family were forced to flee from Cuba because Fidel Castro took away your property, basic human rights, including the right to vote and free and fair elections. On January 6th, you voted to take away the votes of millions of voters in Arizona and Pennsylvania, votes that were freely and fairly cast. Given your personal history, how do you justify that? Sure, I can justify it very, very, very uh, well by saying that uh, the, the votes that I took were for Arizona and Pennsylvania, and it was to uphold the Constitution. The Constitution says that only state legislatures can set the rules and the manner and means in which um, electors are chosen from those states. And in, that, in those particular cases, those two states, we had people that were not the state legislators that had actually violated some of the rules set by the state legislatures. Now, it, was, it wasn't going to overturn the election because those two states did not have sufficient uh, electoral votes to overturn the states, unlike what happened in 2005 when the Democrats challenged Ohio. Uh, and we had 31 Democrats uh, voting not to accept the slate from Ohio. And uh, that, if, if that had been successful, by the way, 80 of them also yeah. abstained from voting. Had that been can successful, we just, um, can we the just election would have been overturned. Can we just unpack a little, a little bit of that, Congressman? I, we have a short amount of time. It's so difficult on Skype, and I apologize having a, a back-and-forth conversation. But we're trying our best. So yeah. you had in the past sort of um, elaborated on what you just said about a violation of Constitution, and you actually quoted the article not today, but then Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 is what you were talking about. I want to put that up so people can see exactly what that says. So Clause 2 says, each state shall appoint in a manner as the legislature may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives, that's simple civics, to which the state may be entitled to the Congress, but no senator or rep or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So we've been doing that for 200 some odd years. And, and as you sat as the juror, what evidence did you see that 60-something 
court judges didn't see, that's a violation of that clause. Well, the, the, the courts, look, are, are very adverse at overturning elections, and rightly so. And so the rules, the rules were set, and the courts, most of the courts said that people either didn't have standing or uh, they, they cited latches, that maybe somebody had not uh, brought this up before the election. And so the courts are, are right in what they did. Now what, what we want to do is make sure that the, the Supreme Court and those legislatures make absolutely sure that only they are the ones that are are making the laws that govern our elections. Look, Florida had great elections, and re really what I love to do is use Florida as the model for the entire nation. Nobody said there was any problems here. Well, Florida, yeah, Congressman, I, exactly I, I beg your pardon. Let, let me break in to say Florida changed its election laws before the primary and general elections this year, said that votes could be counted 22, 22 days before the election, vote by mail ballots could be counted. So did Florida break the whatever, you know, you think uh, was that unconstitutional? No, no, I'm saying state legislatures can 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 do whatever, whatever laws. It's the state legislatures that make those make those rules. Look, in, in Washington, everybody gets an absentee ballot. That's what the state legislature has said. That's totally constitutional. But when an individual says, hey, I'm going to change this rule here. And when a court says, hey, I'm going to change that rule there. That, I believe, is unconstitutional. Only Although state Governor DeSantis actually did extend unilaterally uh, registration hours for yeah. a day after a little bit because, of a system because meltdown. Of there was, because there was a shutdown in the registration, uh, the registration software, so mm -hmm. people couldn't register. And that was right, okay? But to unilaterally say, hey, you don't have to verify signatures. Hey, we're going to extend registration into the election, as some people did in Arizona and Pennsylvania, Look, that's what causes problems. That's that's why we need to have a set 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 of rules that everybody understands going into election, and that no individual can change. So that all parties say, "Hey, that's a fair and honest uh, uh, election." Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't fair and it wasn't honest, but when you start changing the rules, you know, when the game's already started or just before the game starts, you're going to have problems. We yeah, need to work well, the rules together as a nation. Yeah, okay? Congressman. The rules, according to the Constitution, and here's my well-thumbed copy right here, in Section 2, uh, it also says, I'm going to put this up on the screen so people at home can see this. The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes shall be the President. So the right. idea of Senator Cruz, Senator Hawley, and which you were supporting of appointing an audit committee, your function, the function of Congress with the electors, is ministerial. It's administrative. No, it's not. You it's can't. Absolutely not. That's absolutely false. And because I'll tell you why it's absolutely false. If it were ministerial, then why do we have these processes in place? And that's the one thing that I was listening to the debate, and people were saying was ministerial. Well, then why do you have these processes? that puts, puts us in the middle is, look, let me give you a quote, okay, from 2005. It says, today we are witnessing democracy at work. This, is, this isn't, as some of our Republican colleagues have referred to, sadly, as frivolous. This debate is fundamental to our democracy. The representatives of the American people in this House are standing up for three fundamental American beliefs. The right to vote is sacred, that a representative has a duty to represent his or her constituents, and that the rule of law is the hallmark of our nation. That's what Nancy Pelosi said back in 2005 when the Democrats were standing up in opposition to the slate from Ohio. 
And I agree with her, all right? And so, yes, we need to stand up for the Constitution. We need to stop bickering, follow the rules, and everybody will say, that's right, that's the way to do it, and then we can move on as a country. Yeah, Congressman, you know, the, the fact is, however, you took this vote uh, against accepting the electors hours after the U.S. Capitol was assaulted by a mob and other members of Congress, respected right. members, Senator Marco Rubio said, yeah, I know this, this was a moment when people were going to make a symbolic vote, which they knew they were going to lose. This isn't the time to be sending a message to doing symbolic votes. Let's accept the electors. Was Senator Rubio wrong? Yeah, he was, because you have to protect the Constitution. And one thing, it, the, that mob, I can completely condemn that mob. Every one of them should be identified. Every one of them should be brought to justice, go to jail for the, for the term that, uh, that they deserve. I have absolutely zero tolerance for that kind of behavior uh, on any front. Any kind of violence uh, on any kind of demonstration should be condemned on all fronts. But be, because of that, I still have to protect the Constitution. And that's, that's why I voted the way I did, because I felt in my mind we have to protect the Constitution. We need for the next election to make sure that these rules aren't changed unilaterally by an individual, by a supervisor of election, by a judge, uh, by a secretary of state. The state legislators have to make those rules, and that's the reason I voted the way I voted. I, I just want to ask you, Congresswoman, one more question, not to beat a dead horse, but I you think you're and and, and, and every other, I, you would presume, federal judge in the United States wants to hold up the U.S. Constitution as well. So I just want to read you one little piece of opinion from the U.S. District Court, Middle District of Pennsylvania. This was one of the 60-some-odd cases addressing this on this was November 21st, Judge Matthew Bran, uh, in his opinion on this very thing, I'm just going to pull out something, uh, he says, one might expect when seeking a startling outcome, the plaintiff would come armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof, such as the court would have no option to grant this relief. Uh, this has not happened. He called it strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations, uh, unsupported by evidence. And so this judge who wants to uphold the Constitution just like you do, what do you make of that disparity in what he sees and what you see? Oh, because I think that that was they were talking about massive voter fraud and all those things that uh, uh, that some folks were alleging. That uh, I agree with uh, with that judge. What I'm saying is no. That the, the question is that the rules should not have been changed. Uh, I'm not I'm not questioning the outcome of the election. And by the way, like I said before, even if those two states had been overturned, uh, you know, soon to be President Biden will be President Biden because there were not sufficient. Electoral college votes to overturn the election, unlike 2005. Uh, and so, you know, we have to be consistent here in, uh, in our application of our criticism and, and all that. I didn't hear a peep from anybody when the Democrats were objecting to uh, Ohio back in 2005, which would have overturned the election. And as you can as you can see, Nancy Pelosi was more than happy. To, uh, to bring that, yeah. uh, that debate and actually spoke All in right. favor. Well, let's, Again, 31, 31 uh, of, of her colleagues voted in favor of that, of overturning right. well, two thousand, the debate. You know, the, the issue here, Congressman, excuse me, the issue here yeah. is not what happened in 2005. We're aware there was this history. The question really is what happened on the morning of January 6th of this year mm -hmm. when on the ellipse, President Trump 
said to this large crowd that they should march on the Capitol, that they should fight like hell, they should be strong and take back their government because the election was stolen and they had to show the members of Congress and change the election. Was that an insurrection, an incitement to insurrection? He also said to do it to go to the Capitol and do so in a peaceful manner and respectfully. He said that too. You failed to say that, okay? And so, uh, I, you know, the, the the speech could he have said other things? Absolutely. Was I happy with the outcome uh, that day? Absolutely not. It was a, it was an embarrassment to this nation, and it should have never happened. But I will tell you this, all right, that I know that at nine o'clock in the morning. Myself and my chief of staff, we witnessed an individual in a helmet ready for, for rumble. And he said that, hey, we're going we're gonna to charge. And my, my chief of staff thought he heard the FBI at 2 o'clock. And then he later said, hey, you know, he may have said the Capitol. We, we reported that to the Capitol Police at, uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning. Hey, we have uh, people here in my hotel room, all right, that are going to do some, some bad things. And we got a call back from the FBI trying to identify this individual. So... I think you'll find that there were people there that were going to do what they were going to do. All right. Now, did I did I approve of the of the, of the president's message? No, I did not. Okay. I uh, I was disturbed by it. Uh, but you know, well, there's a, there's people do say a lot of a lot of things that uh, they regret. Uh, and again, one thing is what happened, and the other thing is defending the Constitution. And that's what I will. That's what I did, and that's what I will continue to do. I'm curious. As, uh, to, I'm just curious to hear. Um, and I want you to know. Can I? Can I just say that we're very grateful that you are with us today because I think South Florida constituents are really interested in hearing your perspectives about this. So we're very grateful that you're here with us today, answering that. Uh, I'm curious to hear how you describe these people. Would you describe that there were protesters there who certainly didn't breach the Capitol? Absolutely, no, sure. a lot of them. So, would right. you describe that as an as an insurrection, as domestic terrorism? Uh, one of the actual breachers called it a revolution. What would you call it? Well, I would call, I would call it an, an act of uh, insurrection, an act of terrorism, an act of lawlessness, an act of rioting, and then every one of them should be identified. Every one of them should be brought to justice. Everyone needs to go to jail. And uh, and that's what we need to do, and um uh, and you know you know me I'm very you know pro law law enforcement uh, you know we had the the the, uh, the instances here of, of demonstrations in, in Miami and Miami Dade we took a very tough stance and because of that our city didn't burn because we wouldn't allow it uh, I certainly am not going to be justifying the actions of these thugs and these terrorists. Uh, that, uh, you know, assaulted our capital. Again, I want them brought to justice, and I want to see them go to jail. All right, Congressman, hold on. We're very glad you're with us. We're going to speak a little bit more. Back with Carlos Jimenez in just a minute. We are back with South Florida Congressman Carlos Jimenez talking about uh, insurrection at the Capitol, talking about what's to come this week. Um, Congressman, I want to go sort of a little deeper into the subtext of everything happening. Uh, and I'm going to label it people who think fake news. And I'm going to add to that true fake news because disinformation campaigns, not just over the last couple of weeks, but over the last four years, have really fueled a lot of the violence that we're seeing and may remain seeing. Uh, some of that, a large portion of it right here in our own community on Spanish language radio and in print and in 
sort of not mainstream media. I know you know all about that. That is part of your community. And I want to hear from you. What, what do you think Congress can do about it, should do about it, and, uh, and your take on all that? I think that the, the, this all lies with the media on both sides, to be honest with you, because there's disinformation coming from both sides here. I mean, for three years, we were fed this whole thing about Russian collusion. Turned out to be a total baloney, all right? And it, we kept, you know, kept hearing it and hearing it. And so you have disinformation on the right, disinformation on the left. And people are gravitating to what it is that they want to hear. Well, right? Congressman, I, I'm, I'm talking more about mainstream media has become the, the enemy to Trump supporters. We, we don't subscribe to that. Local news, I, do you consider us to be fake news here at Local 10? <laughs> no, I, I think that there are some uh, outlets that really are not uh, balanced. All right. And but aside they, from balance, flat yeah. out lies. Uh, the oh, hey, Miami uh, Herald supplement uh, called El Libre was an anti-Semitic, uh, racially dog-whistle commentary that actually resulted in the top people at the Herald leaving. And, uh, and that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what we're, we've been seeing. And that really fuels a, a lot of people who believe that. But don't, don't you know that you also, you know, that for four years you were fueling this whole thing about a Russian collusion and it turned out to be a total fake? Uh, that's, that, that's factually that everyone, incorrect. That, you know, what, what, what people are trying to find is, you know, and, and are seeing is that there's somehow news organizations are aligning themselves right or left, right or left, and only give you half the story or half the story. So and what is Congress's role back, in that? We need to get back to journalism where you are skeptical of everything, just like you're skeptical of me today, okay? I, we, we, act, we absolutely do that 100% of the time. But what, the question is, nationwide, this is an issue. It sounds like we agree yeah. that this is an issue. What is Congress's role in that so that people get good information? Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant to, to put laws and rules that say, hey, we're going to be the truth police. That's the last thing I want to do. I want people to have access to information, unfettered, uncensored. You know, what, the, what, is, what Twitter is doing, what Facebook is doing, and what they determine is correct or a lie, or we're going to fact check this and fact check that. You know, and uh, no, that's not the American way. And we're losing our freedom of speech. Was yeah, this Congressman, election stolen, Congressman? To... Was this election stolen in, in your vision? No, it wasn't stolen. I didn't say I didn't say it was stolen. Okay, I didn't oh, say that at all. Okay, Thank no, you. I didn't say that at all. I said that there that we need to make sure that elections in the future follow the Constitution because then we can uh, then we can put all these arguments you know to 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 the side and we say and we all agree. Yep, fair election. That's the way it is. That's that's what I'm used to here in this country. You know, and so you know, I, but but as Americans, you know, the last thing I want to do is to try to be a again like I said the truth police that is extremely dangerous because the you know what is the truth uh, you know you know you need to we I think we need to give uh, us Americans a little bit more credit that we have a little bit more up here than people think we do that we can make up our own minds what we think is right well, and what we think is wrong and have and have the right to listen to this person and that person and make up our own minds, okay? That's the way it should be, and that's what I'm going to be yeah. fighting for. Congressman, in your many years in public service, you were well-known as a moderate. Mm -hmm. uh, when you ran for office for um, a partisan 
office you promised in your campaign and said yep. on election night you would be a congressman who would reach across the aisle, who would be moderate. Your first two consequential votes were with the far right and affirmed Donald Trump and false lies that he had the election stolen. Excuse me. Uh, first of all, I, I completely disagree with your, your assessment. And those are two votes, all right? And I'm the, with the far right. It wasn't with the far right. It was the most... most well, you, of the let's with the say with, again, with Donald I'm, Trump. First of all, and, and let's talk about impeachment, okay? You want to talk about impeachment? Let's do it, okay? Let's talk about impeachment, all right? So where in the world... Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi said that she wanted... She had to have impeachment because we had to get rid of this president and we had to remove him from office right away. That was a flat-out lie. The president's still there. And the president's going to be there until the 20th. And so what do we do? We had a three-hour impeachment. Heck, a burglar gets more 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 uh, process than, than than the president. The president shouldn't get any more than a burglar, but he should get as much, you know. And so that's why I voted against impeachment because the process—it was a flat-out lie that she said we had to get him out and we had to do it this way. It, you know, the rules were pushed through like that, and then three-hour debate, and then we impeach the president. I don't think that's right. That's not America. That's not the America I came here. All right. So and we, needed I think... to have, we needed to have committee. We need to have the committee investigation. We need to have witnesses. And then we needed also the defense of the of, uh, of the president. Okay? Isn't that what happens then, in the Senate, maybe though? We could have had more of the Republicans say, yeah, okay, you know, maybe he did something wrong. But we don't know because it took, it took place in three hours. That was a travesty. Congressman Carlos Menes, we are very glad you joined us this morning. You've made your points very clear. We're glad to hear them. Thanks very much. Look forward to having you back, as always. Thank you. <laughs> All right, coming up, the FBI, of course, has warned cities across the country to be on high alert this week. And Tallahassee is on high alert today. But what about South Florida? Miami Police Chief George Kalina is here to answer that question when we come back. Since the violence at the Capitol and in these days leading up to the inauguration, law enforcement agencies around the country are on high alert. This week, the FBI warned all states of the possibility that armed protests are planned. Chief George Kalina of the Miami Police Department was on that call Wednesday with the FBI director and the Homeland Security chief. Good morning, Chief. Chief Kalina, good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. So tell us Great about the call that you had, the FBI director, I guess, uh, Homeland Security, other high folks were on that call. You're one of those high folks. Uh, what was the message here? What's the message for South Florida about security? So the message was fairly generic in that everyone needs to be at their highest level of alert. Right. This is something that is affecting us across the country, not just the capital and quite frankly, not to state capitals. We all need to be paying attention because we don't know who's going to lash out, who's going to act out, who's going to want to send a message. Uh, and so we all need to be uh, vigilant and pay attention to what we see on social media. And if we see something, certainly report that to the FBI, which was the biggest message. Yeah. And what do you see? What do you see on social media? in the city of Miami Police Department and uh, across South Florida? Michael, there's a lot of chatter and, and a lot of the chatter is, is disturbing. Uh, we have the same issues here that the FBI has. So you, you've heard uh, Director A speak about aspirational versus intentional, right? What, what does somebody really mean when they say, I'm looking forward to seeing the Capitol burn? What does that mean? Is that someone just 
keyboard hyperbole or is that someone that has the means and the willingness to carry and act out? We see the same kind of chatter here and we too have to determine, is this someone just talking or is this someone that can really carry something out? And that's the trick in determining what's real and what isn't. So how do you define then a passionate protester who will turn into something more violent or not? How, how do you determine that? Because that's what we saw yeah. last Wednesday. We saw a really huge, passionate protest, and then all of a sudden something snapped for a portion of them. Well, the, the biggest element that you want to have and something that clearly didn't happen in Washington was that there needs to be clear rules of engagement and that needs to be communicated to everyone that's involved. So even in the Capitol, you saw where you had a skirmish line formed and some Capitol police doing their best to hold folks back. And then you had other officers, quite frankly, that just let people in. So you, everyone needs to understand if, if this area is breached, we're giving a dispersal order and we're using chemical agents, for example. Well, that's, that needs to be communicated to the crowd itself. They also need to understand what those parameters are. And everyone needs to understand that the second that one person, one, in that crowd breaks the law, now, unfortunately, everyone needs to disperse because we don't have the ability to go in and extract one person safely. Yeah. Chief Polino, we, we know the Federal Protective Service uh, guards U.S. buildings and very close to the Miami Police Department. There's a whole complex of federal courthouses, a prison, and then there's the main federal administration building downtown uh, on Flagler. Have you been asked, to, has the Federal Protection Service come to you and said, we need your men to, to also watch out uh, over these buildings over the next few days? Yes, so we primarily communicate with the U.S. Marshals, which, by the way, will be embedded with us uh, on Wednesday. And obviously, they don't have the manpower here locally to be able to protect other buildings. And, and so they rely on us. And, and we're here to assist, obviously. And so we're going to have a lot of officers working, obviously. We'll stand up our police command center. We'll be communicating with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, they rely on us as well, obviously. Uh, the FBI, ATF. Uh, we'll have everyone at our station making sure that, that this is a, a safe day. Chief, we've been privy to um, an FBI memo, a bulletin of sorts, that I'm going to guess you've been privy to as well, talking about how th this isn't a one-off. This event, this time, may be the beginning of a very serious and dangerous phase of domestic terrorism, uh, right-wing extremism and their targets. And so... I wonder what Miami Police Department and others are doing since we know that last Wednesday there was law enforcement from around the country off duty as part of this insurrection. What do the police departments do to make sure that the ranks within are on the quote unquote right side of the law? It's a matter of being consistent, Glenna. And so the rules are going to apply to everyone all the time and obviously that includes employees of the police department there's probably a million policemen across the country and with a population that big you know that you're going to have some policemen that shouldn't be officers some that are in fact bigots and some that are extremists uh, but the second that you find out something like that that someone isn't going to uphold the law and behave in the way that we expect them to behave they need to be removed 
And, and that's what you need to communicate to your employees all the time, not just going somewhere else and acting out, but in your behavior daily and at work and at home. And the rules have to apply all the time. And ideology is not something that changes that. Oh, well, they're very passionate about this, so it's OK. No, it's not OK. Yeah. Chief George Kalina, we're always glad to speak with you. I know you're going to be retiring in a couple of months. I know you love great Italian wine. I've got a bottle of Amarone for you, which, wow, I, that is which awesome. I will deliver. We're grateful Thank to speak so with much. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Don't drink I appreciate on duty, it. though. No. <laughs> Thank Take you so much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, up next, the future of the Florida Democratic Party. The new chair of the Florida Democratic Party, Manny Diaz, former Miami city mayor. He joins us live after the break. The 2020 election was not kind of Florida Democrats. They lost two important congressional seats in South Florida and a state Senate race in Miami-Dade by just a handful of votes. Those losses set off a scramble for new leadership at the Florida Democratic Party, and the winner was former Miami Mayor Manny Diaz. Diaz is a Miami attorney and, as we mentioned, a former mayor and so much more. Good morning. So glad to have you with us, Manny. Manny, good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Well, good morning to both of you, and I hope uh, you and your families are safe and healthy. And by the way, this, this seems to be a City of Miami day, at least uh, since I've been watching. <laughs> and, and we're glad it is. Uh, Manny, uh, you don't need any kind of a Ph.D. to know that the Florida Democratic Party took a terrible beating in November, losing the congressional seats and the Jose Javier Senate, uh, uh, Rodriguez Senate seat, other seats in, uh, across the state. How are you going to put the party back together? We're going to build a year-round organization. This is uh, regrettably an organization that uh, hasn't worked off of a, um, a, a systematic uh, a master plan, strategic plan uh, throughout the year that uh, tends to uh, come to life a few months before the election, running around with their heads cut off. And I think you need to professionalize the, the operation of the party. You need to build a year-round uh, infrastructure. Uh, that is a statewide effort. I mean, not not just in the in the principal counties, but also in in many of our smaller red and, and rural counties, where I think we can. And we saw that, by the way, in Georgia. Georgia did a phenomenal job. Yes, of course, Georgia did well in Fulton County, Atlanta, and DeKalb, and, and some of the uh, more populous counties. But they also did a phenomenal job in reaching out to to local areas and bringing that vote out. So it sounds uh, like you are rebuilding from the ground up. I I know you had fired or let go most of the staff. I wanted to ask you about the very first email that went out to Florida Democrats that um, somebody had forwarded to me. And the subject line is introducing myself. And uh, a lot of people know who you are, but that's what it says here, introducing myself. But it's a very short email. It asks for money, but there's nothing in the email that tells people who might donate what you might be doing differently with that money. Um, what will you be doing differently with that money? We're going to build a statewide organization, and we're going to build it from the ground, like you pointed out. It's going to be grassroots. It's going to be from the ground up, not from the top down. Uh, and that involves uh, everything from, um, you know, uh, training and recruiting candidates and uh, in enhancing, which was not bad, our voter uh, vote by mail project uh, uh, last year did, did very well. Uh, but we need to do better on early voting. We need to do better on get out the vote. We need to start the process now of recruiting and training. Uh, candidates for offices all throughout the state. 
uh, it, it'll be a it'll be a statewide uh, effort with uh, regional uh, operations where people can be close to to uh, to people in 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 all parts of the of the uh, of the state. And I and I, it's going to take a little while, but I think we can and we will and we'll we'll get that ready uh, by the time 2022 rolls around. Yeah, Manny, one of the sort of major things you've got to do is step up your bench, your number of candidates who are going to run 2022. Uh, you need a candidate to run for governor. You've got to find a candidate to run against Marco Rubio for the Senate. Uh, talk to me, talk to us about who some of your upcoming stars, who's going to be running uh, in those races? Well, you know, I need to be careful now because I, I can't uh, I, I can't uh, pick and choose uh, any candidates, but uh, there have been a number of names uh, floated. Um, you know, I, I keep hearing names, but it, it, by the way, it's not just the governor's race. We also have the, the rest of the cabinet um, that um, uh, that will be up for election. And, you know, I, I've heard names like uh, uh, Congresswoman Murphy, uh, Congresswoman Demings, um, uh, uh, State Attorney Arenberg, uh, Commissioner, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, uh, just, just to name a few that I've, that I've heard so far. Uh, in, in different uh, capacities for different interests. I have no idea yeah. whether they're doing it or not, uh, but uh, or what race they would do it in. You so, know, I, I just want to ask you a, a quick question about one of, I know, the lessons learned uh, from this last election in November in Florida, Hispanics and Latin communities, and I hate talking about that as a big demographic, but there was a really surprising shift to a Republican vote and the word socialism that was mm -hmm. blasted by the GOP really had an effect. Uh, is that an issue for you? And, and what are you doing about that? It, it, it clearly was an issue uh, down here. Uh, we, we let that, uh, we, we let the opponents uh, define who we were. Uh, we, we took it in the chin for over a year, as, as, you, as you both know. The president, uh, the vice president, uh, the family, and all the surrogates were really made Florida their home, and spent a lot of time down here uh, beating up on that message. And we were we were not responding until the very very end. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I was involved in cutting some TV ads down here in Spanish TV and Spanish radio, and and just in a three week period we moved the needle 20 points. Uh, so I think it's doable. I, look, it's in the Republican playbook. They have absolutely nothing positive to offer us and the people of this community. And so the only thing they can do is go on the attack. And unfortunately, we did not defend ourselves. We also didn't create the, the kind of ground organization down here that we would have needed. Uh, uh, President-elect Biden uh, got actually the same number of raw votes as uh, Secretary Clinton did in 2016. But what happened was on the Republican side, they just had a, an incredible uptick. As yeah. you know, the campaign had decided that because of COVID, uh, they weren't going to ask uh, people to, to go out and do a ground game. And you know, in a community like Miami-Dade County, you ne people need to see you out there. You need to be out there yeah. and touching people, who are feeling people. And, Manny, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I beg your pardon, jump in here. You've got a huge and basically thankless job. If you do it well, <laughs> uh, people may say thank you, but uh, if you don't, you'll certainly hear about it. But you got big shoulders. I know you can take it. Thanks very much. We Appreciate your time today. Take care. I don't walk away from a challenge, Michael. You know that. I, I, you love a challenge. That's true. Thanks, <laughs> Thank man. You. Thank you. Stay tuned. Roundtable's next.
Okay, time for the roundtable, and let's get right to it with Raquel Ronke Rodriguez, former general counsel to Jeb Bush, and Chris Smith, former state rep, state senator, a lawyer in Fort Lauderdale. Welcome to you both. Great to see you. Rocky Rodriguez, let me begin by asking you if you heard earlier, Carlos Jimenez said his vote against the electors was all about upholding the Constitution. Does that really hold water? Well, I did hear him, and I, uh, I agree with uh, part of what, um, what the congressman said regarding the requirement that the legislatures regulate the manner in which the electors are appointed. But where I think I would differ with him is this was uh, litigated at one level or another in the courts. And in, in my view, uh, once it got to the Congress, um, I do not believe that it was up to individual congressmen or senators to decide if the electoral votes uh, from Arizona or Pennsylvania should be counted. Chris Smith, what do you think? Oh, definitely. I think um, once we got to Congress, that they should have just counted the votes. And for a South Florida congressman to be real concerned about Arizona and how their legislature and courts work, and Pennsylvania and how their legislature and courts work, I think that was wrong. It didn't hold my strap. It was great talking points, but I think what was done was a travesty in, in, in D.C. this week. Yeah, Chris, uh, the siege on the Capitol, none of us have ever seen anything like it. Hasn't been anything like it since maybe the War of 1812. And those were British troops, not Americans, who went in and burned the Capitol then. Um, does this merit impeachment of the president? Definitely. And I think even though, and, and I sent out a tweet this week, said, even in the last week of school, if a kid does something that merits punishment, we punish that person because they violated the law. And to have the president of the United States actively encourage people to go into our U.S. Capitol and, and fight law enforcement officers with the U.S. flag, with the Blue Lives Matter flag, and just go through our Capitol like that in an insurrection, yeah, punishment must be done so that you have, so you prevent it from the future. Rocky, in the Constitution, impeachment talks about a sitting president. Is it even constitutional to impeach someone who is no longer serving as president? Well, he's, he was serving when he was impeached. The question is going to be whether the Senate has jurisdiction to try him. And the very first impeachment case ever tried in America um, in the 1700s, the senator who was uh, expelled from the Senate and then tried for impeachment argued successfully before the Senate that there was no jurisdiction in which to try him further on the articles. So I think it's an open constitutional question. Uh, note that Nancy Pelosi has not yet transmitted the articles of impeachment to the Senate. It's likely that they won't be transmitted until the president's out of office, and certainly there won't be a vote on it till he's out of office. So I think that's going to be a, qu a question of debate. And what do you think that strategy is? I, I hate to ask to, you know, sort of get into Nancy Pelosi's mind, but get into Nancy Pelosi's mind. What, what is that strategy? I've been thinking about it a lot, and I have a feeling that it's kind of uh, something to hold over the president in the remaining days in order to give the Senate the opportunity, if it has to, to vote on it in the event that um, he continues to act in a way that uh, the Congress feels is interfering with uh, the, the transition of power. So, And I think it also was a statement, a reaction to the absolutely inexcusable violence that befell the Capitol and to send a message. Uh, but I don't think that the Congress really believes that they're going to have an impeachment trial on, uh, on the president that is not going to be questionable regarding jurisdiction.
Yeah. Uh, Chris Smith, uh, needless to say, this country uh, is about as divided as it's ever been, certainly in my lifetime. Only 1968 Vietnam War riots, the murders of, of Bobby Kennedy, MLK, which we're celebrating his life tomorrow. Uh, Joe Biden on Wednesday is going to try to say words that help bring the country together. Uh, is Joe Biden going to have the bright healing words? Oh, definitely. You've seen that from day one. And I mean, I've looked at polling this morning. He's already up to 67% of Americans believing that he's doing the right thing and handling this transition correctly. But Joe Biden, it seems to be, I mean, ironically, the perfect person at this time. I mean, he's that caring type person. He's that passionate type person. The times when I've been around him, my mom and I, I mean, he's been so personable. And going off of this four years of division, this four years of anger at each other, I think Joe Biden, in that calming voice, that, that grandfatherly voice, I think was the right tone that America needs right now, definitely. Rocky, I'd like to hear you, your perspective on that, because there are a lot of people uh, that are going to try to impede that process this week. Well, I don't think we should impede it. I think we have to work with the, uh, the new administration and try to come together. I'd like to quote uh, Martin Luther King, since we are honoring his birthday on Monday, who said in 1963, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And I think we all need to uh, reflect uh, over the course of what's happened in the last 10 days and we need to focus on loving each other and trying to work together. We must bring our country together. Amen to well, that. If, if, I, if Amen. I can, I think, I think the actions at the Capitol is actually going to make it easier for Biden to do this. Even those that were, I'm still you know, listening to the president and believing a lot of what he's saying and following that, when they saw the natural, uh, what happens to that kind of rhetoric, that's why you see those higher poll numbers. So I think the bar is actually lower and people are looking for someone to just tone it down. So that's why I think it's going to be much better um, after Wednesday, at yeah. least for the first hundred days. Yeah. Rocky, I love that quote. Thank you for quoting it. I'll quote another ML King saying, which sort of is at the center of my life, when he said, the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Uh, that's another profound thought. Uh, and I hope that, you know, that's what we will see in the coming months and years in our country. So I just want to throw out there that we could have pulled the actual tape of MLK saying all these things, and I'm so sorry that we didn't. Um, just really quickly before we go, Chris, I just wanted to get you, Manny Diaz was talking about the new day for Florida Democratic Party. Um, under this, what Democrats like to call a big tent, there is a lot of finger pointing between the factions. Give us a, a, a quick perspective on that. Yeah, no one circles the wagons and shoot in were like the Florida Democrats. <laughs> I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of finger pointing now. But I think Georgia has given us a good roadmap. And I've talked to a lot of the, my colleagues that I've talked to. They're all looking to Georgia and saying, okay, if Georgia can do it, we can do it. So I think that's helping a lot of people come together and try to get a long-term roadmap. Georgia didn't happen in 60 days. Yeah. It happened over a couple of years. Chris, and so I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, Chris. A good thought in which to end. Uh, Chris Smith and Rocky Rodriguez, thank, thank you, you so much for being here. Great to have you always. And thank we'll you. be right back. Many thanks to you for spending this hour with us. As always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.